welcome to another episode of the Blue Jays Bites podcast. My name is Brian Dot. Joining you tonight alongside Matt DeMarinas and Alex Sindelar on the Blue Jays Bites podcast brought to you by Script Town Brewing. Gentlemen, it's great to have you guys here tonight. Can you say hi to the people at home? Hello, people. Hi, guys. Wow. You guys waited to trip over each other. That was really, that was really thoughtful of you guys. I decided to let Alex go first because alphabetical order in his name. Nice. Yeah, but I mean, if you're going by last names, like you do in like elementary school, and then it doesn't really fit. That's true. Okay, well, we'll let the, we'll let the rookie lead off. There. You, ooh, wow, rookie lead off. That's tough. Yeah. Must have a good eye. Uh, well, yeah, I guess we could talk about that um, too. I was not going to start with baseball. God knows um, the way things have gone the last couple of years, but um, I'll just maybe. It'd be I'd be remiss if we have Alex on the show that we don't talk about the the new rule for the NCAA um, saying that pl- uh, batters will be penalized if they if the home plate umpire or the umpire crew believes they are um, getting hit by a pitch on purpose just completely <laughs> blows my mind that that's actually something that with all of the intricacies of the college baseball game they chose to focus on that one um, but. That I'll, I digress. That's maybe a topic for a later time or a later in this podcast. But uh, just to get your guys's you know blood boiling a little bit behind the scenes, we'll we'll load up and and then talk about that after we've got some some volleyball and soccer talk uh, under our belts. But um, yeah, last uh, since we talked on the podcast last, it's been a busy week for Creighton sports, um, men's soccer, women's soccer, uh, out on the pitch. But then really. It was about this time last week, Matt, where we were starting to dig into what was really shaping up to be uh, a pivotal early season test for Creighton Volleyball, um, hosting uh, top 10 ranked and defending national champion Nebraska at the CHI Health Center, and then the Blue Jay Invitational hosting Iowa State and Wichita State, two, two teams that Creighton, two programs that Creighton's very familiar with. I know you guys were both at Nebraska. Um and then split up duties over the weekend. Just, I guess, interested first in um, your perspective of the atmosphere at CHI Health Center for that game against the Huskers. Obviously, it started off extremely well for the Blue Jays, going up two sets to none. Um, things did not end the night um, that uh, the way that Jays fans and, and Kirsten Brinthal Booth would have liked to see but just overall your guys's impressions of how that went down and and then maybe you know that quick turnaround how that affected uh, how the Jays started out against Iowa State on Friday I thought it was everything you could want as someone who just whether you're a hardcore fan a casual fan or just someone with like moderate interest in the sport of volleyball I don't know how uh, what happened on Thursday night at the CHI Health Center disappointed anybody, really. I mean, you, you wanted to see, from a Creighton perspective, you wanted to see progression in terms of how close are they to knocking off the Huskers and things like that, because Nebraska is obviously still the reigning national champions. Um, they've got Michaela Fecky, who's a stud, still Kenzie Maloney, who's a stud. Um, and then they've got these, you know, kind of inexperienced pieces that are following their lead. But obviously, John Cook's still on the sidelines and all those things like that are going into it. And then you have just, you know, probably close to 10,000, if not more, Nebraska fans in the building. And it just like you want to see you wanted to see a good atmosphere. You wanted to see but you also wanted to see 
a match that kind of was pushed to its limit and you wanted to see the best of both squads and I thought it delivered. I don't think I don't think it delivered at the same time because when Creighton was playing well, Nebraska wasn't and when Nebraska was sure. playing well, Creighton wasn't so like it was a bit of a seesaw in terms of that. It wasn't that but, Kansas five-setter that you saw down in Lawrence, right? Yeah, it wasn't that, I promise you. Um, Alex is going to attest to that. He was sitting right next to me. Right. So, um, <laughs> wasn't that. Uh, he nearly died that day. Uh, yeah, but it, but it was. I wish I did. You saw like you saw <laughs> you saw Creighton kind of take a shot at him, and I and I think I want to say this too because I saw some of it on social media and message boards. In volleyball, when you have a two nothing lead in a match, that's not a lead because mm-hmm. games always reset to zero. I think that's really important to say. It's not like blowing a second half lead in basketball or something. So I think. The word choke needs to be like eliminated from this conversation uh, because you can't choke in volleyball unless you have like a 24, sure. you know, something lead in a set. Like you can you can choke in a set, but you can't really right. choke in a match because everything starts over at zero again. So you got to earn you got to earn 25 three times. That's how you win. Like that's the point. So it's I know Creighton had a 2-0 lead and you're like, oh, man, that's a golden opportunity. They blew there, but it's not really something they blew. Nebraska just got to three before they did. So that's just the way it went. Um, but the match was great. I mean, I thought, like I said, I thought Creighton mm-hmm. showed what they're capable of. Nebraska showed what they're capable of. Um, and the both fan bases, I thought, did a great job too. I mean, when when Creighton was up 2-0, that wasn't like a dead arena. It wasn't like a bunch of Nebraska fans filled the place and then waited for the Huskers to, players to show up. It was it was about 70-30, I think, if I were to split it. So it was – I'm not going to say it wasn't majority yeah. red, but the blue was rowdy when Creighton was playing well. And it was definitely well, – the, the student section was packed. What was that? And the student section was jam-packed. Oh, yeah. I mean, and and you figure when you're trying to, like, compare it to what would show up at DJ Sokol Arena, there were more blue fans that could fit in that building. So yeah, it, sure. was, it, was mm-hmm. a, it was a good turnout of Creighton, I thought. And – um, and they were into the match when Creighton was playing really well, and you know, and they were into the match when Creighton was trying to dig and find some find some momentum late and find the rhythm late. Um, but when that when Nebraska started taking over, when Michaela Fecky started playing well, and when the crowd started backing them, it was a pretty. It felt like a road game at that point, but um, I still thought, in terms of what everybody showed, both fan bases, both teams. Um, I thought it was a good night. I th- it was a good night for volleyball in the state. Obviously, it set a record um, for the most people to attend a regular season match in NCAA history. So it was a part of history. Um, and I don't think, I don't know, I don't think it's the last time they'll play this year. I kind of feel like they're a little bit tied in terms of their destinies this year, just because they're both really talented. So I wouldn't be surprised if they meet again. I just think that's they're kind of just. Kevin Sarver asked me before the match what my prediction was, and I know I'm rambling here, but my prediction was I think Creighton loses in five tonight is what I said. But I feel like it's like it's like that Kansas match was um, the one we saw, Alex, uh, because Creighton had lost to Kansas in five sets earlier that season. And then they came back in Omaha, they lost in five sets. And then they came back in Lawrence and beat them. Um, so that was like a little bit of, an, of a hump that Creighton had to get over. And I kind of feel like we're headed towards that point again with Nebraska. Like it's one of those things where Creighton keeps like getting close, and this is as close as they've ever been now with the five setter. And I feel like I, what I said was I think Creighton loses in five tonight, and then in the rematch, it, it, Creighton tips the scale in five 
the second time. So I feel like I just have a gut feeling that this is going to happen one more time this year. And when it does, yeah, like, we'll just copy and paste what you just said and uh, <laughs> post it everywhere as the prophetic uh, Matt Marinas. Alex, anything to add there? No, I, I mean, I think I, I, I always saw the Nebraska match in 2015 was kind of a – it was almost a measurement of where Creighton's at. And I, I remember – like, I mean, even my dad called me. He's like, Creighton took a set from Nebraska. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, they're, they're pretty good. You know, this year, and then when they they take the first two sets as convincingly as they did, like, well, this is it. I mean, this is this is what you know, Coach Booth is Berthal Booth is is built. I mean, she was able to take two sets from who I see as as the Goliath, not only in the state but in all of college ball. And I mean, you can look at that that five setter against Kansas and the Sweet Sixteen, the Elite Eight, and it's like they they built a formidable program. And the moment they beat Nebraska, it's like, well. That's when they they're actually here. That's when they've completely solidified themselves as one of the college volleyball elites. So, I, I thought the game itself. I think uh, the crowd was amazing, and and I loved Matt's uh, prediction at the beginning. He's like, "This is going five sets." So when Creighton won the first two sets, I was like, "Well, I mean, we're we're in for three more." And then Becky, obviously, she turned it on. She was able to hit over the block, and and then she completely put everything around, and it was it was unbelievable to see a, a volleyball player of that caliber just kind of go into another gear and I, know, I mean it was it was cool to watch just one of the best volleyball players we've seen in this in this sport and um, I don't know it was, it was a lot of fun it was just a lot of fun to see how packed it was for I mean for volleyball in a stadium that typically seats 17,000 for basketball and these people were excited they didn't see the good man they did so and I did, and I felt, and I, and I as soon as Creighton took that two zero lead, that was when I almost guaranteed it was going five two. Sure, yeah, it just felt like because <laughs> whenever whenever you stick Nebraska in a locker room with their backs against the wall, they just they turn into the national champs like that. They've done that so many times with so many teams. It's like when Creighton went up two zero, it's like okay, the Huskers are coming like fiercely. So this is about to get serious here in a minute. That's kind of when I felt the thing was going to get really exciting. So obviously they leave CHI Health Center. They know they've got a quick turnaround. They're hosting Iowa State, Wichita State for the weekend. Um, I'm sure you were able to talk to Coach Booth and the players, but what's that turnaround like? I know, you know, following on Twitter, the the uh, facility staff, you know, they're taking floor from CenturyLink or yeah. whatever, CHI, bringing it back home, everybody getting things ready, but – What's it like when they get out? I know volleyball is different. Again, like basketball, you mentioned, that's another difference, right? These players are used to playing back-to-back days. They're used to playing um, in that in that scenario. But what was that like for them, and how did it affect maybe how things started against Iowa State? Um, and just maybe segue into your overall impressions of the of the Invitational. Yeah, I mean, they were clearly tired coming out against Iowa State. Um they look confused at times. They just look exhausted mentally, physically. They they, they didn't even play, you know, three sets against Iowa State. And when they dropped the first set, you know, it was kind of like, um, you know, this is just a hangover match. You kind of take your lumps. And I mean, you just went five sets the night before. And you know, Kirsten, she said, you know, after the after the match, I was saying, she was like, that's, I mean, we were just drained. Um, so to see him bounce back in the second set, 
the way that they did, they were down 10 to 11. They managed to battle back. Um, and I'm tearing clothes. She was amazing in, in the match against Nebraska and in the match against Iowa State. She kind of turned it on the second and third set, especially towards the end of the second set. They win the second set. They come back from an 18-11 deficit. And, uh, and then at that point in the third set, once they go into the locker room with that kind of momentum, uh, Iowa State was toast. And they were beaten. I mean, you could tell just coming in, into that third set. They, if they didn't win that one, they weren't going to win anymore. And, I mean, for them to kind of – for Creighton to put on a clinic like they did in the fourth set and just kind of wipe them out of the building and, and say, hey, you know, I mean, thanks for trying. And, I mean, Iowa State was a – they received votes in the top 25, so that's no that's, that's no joke of a team. I mean, they're pretty pretty dang good. So, um, so you could just tell, though, they were off to start the match and they were sluggish. They were they were missing things that they, they didn't miss the night before. And it's kind of like watching the Bizarro Blue Jays in a way. They just didn't. They weren't all there, and they finally went to the locker room after winning that second one, and they completely turned around. And uh, yeah, it wasn't so much the offense that wasn't clicking. It was just not being in spots to get digs. It was not being in system when Iowa State, you know, attacked. And then they put Megan Sharkey, who's the backup setter. I think she's from. She was a transfer from Rutgers. Uh, they put her in at setter, and they started kicking some butt with her. Uh, so just kind of changing that up. And I think Coach Booth said after after that match that Iowa State spent like six or seven hours just going over the same film over and over and over again and trying to figure out how to beat, you know, their team. And and once they put Sharp in, it was like a completely different ball game. So to kind of have that catalyst sitting on the bench for the Blue Jays, I mean, that's, that's kind of huge because she kind of changes everything up. So... Last week on the podcast, you talked about the depth that Creighton has, and obviously there's the names that everybody knows, but do you think this was a good example of what Alex just talked about um, of some of the depth and some of the um, ability for people to come off the bench and step right in and, and make a difference um, like you had seen you know, watching practice and talking to Coach Booth? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no question. And I think this whole non-conference, the way it sets, the way it sets up with playing – you know, two matches a day, three matches in two days, that sort of thing. I think the whole thing is kind of conducive to um, really testing the quality of the depth. The quantity was definitely not a question in the preseason. Like, watching practice, everybody looks like they're talented. It looks like there's never been more talent in that gym. And then, you know, when the rubber meets the road moment is when you play these elite teams that create that Kirsten Bernthal booth schedules every year. So that's kind of when they get to find out what they're made of. Um, And this weekend was – as good of an example of it as probably they've had, honestly, because you have the reigning national champs on Thursday night, then you have Iowa State on Friday. So that's like a – you have so much emotion invested in the Nebraska match, and to lose it the way they did and flip it around and start to struggle against Iowa State, dig themselves a hole, looking at an 0-2 deficit with how much they trailed in the second set, and then to just go to the bench for a spark and get it. I think is a perfect example of what the coaching staff has been saying about how deep this team is. And it's not just the coaches either. The players have been saying it too. So, I mean, when Jaylee Winters is telling you that she's kind of playing for her job every day, it kind of raises an eyebrow because you felt like, um, you know, that's a, she's the goat of Creighton volleyball. And if she's having, (laughs) if she's, if she's getting pushed in practice, you you kind of like, Oh really? Um, 
you know, you start to pay attention to the pieces around him. So sure. um, I think that's, you know, when you saw Jayla Zimmerman, she was great against Nebraska. Uh, and then it's Kari Zumach's turn against Iowa State. Um, Wichita State is a team that just from a system, a systematic standpoint, not necessarily personnel, Creighton physically is a mismatch for Wichita State. But what they do in terms of how they play, they run the 6-2, they throw a bunch of hitters at them. Um, and they're, they're the kind of hitters that have traditionally bothered Creighton because they're not the big, tall, powerful um, trees on the pins as you normally see from elite teams. They're kind of undersized, uh, scrappy, but you know they, they just give Creighton problems for some reason. That's the matchup that's difficult for them. Um, and then comes Annika Welty, another freshman, and she has a career-high seven blocks, her best match of the season by far. So you saw Jayla Zimmerman's best match against Nebraska. You saw Kari Zumach and Megan Sharkey really good against Iowa State. And then you see Annika Welty, uh, Welty make the difference um, on Sunday against Wichita State. So, like, it's not just a Jaylee Winters and Taryn Cloth-driven um, team. It's, you know, there's pieces that can be relied upon here. Um, you know, Megan Ballinger hasn't been mentioned. Like, there's just so many weapons that I think this stuff is starting to come to fruition in terms of how talented this group is. And I think this upcoming weekend is going to be another example of um, kind of seeing that progression because um, the, they're playing Lipscomb first, and that's a team that is – I know that name doesn't jump out at people, but that's a really scrappy volleyball team, a team that Creighton is familiar with, a team that they're that is really competitive, um, and it's the way tournament team year in, year out. So that's going to be a tough test. And then they get the rematch with Northern Iowa after that. Uh, and then, obviously, the main event is going to be Saturday night against Illinois, which will be a matchup of two top ten teams. And Illinois is undefeated. And, it, you know, Illinois is one of those teams, too, that I kind of felt coming into the – when the non-conference schedule was released, I know Nebraska was circled, and obviously USC is really good, and Kentucky was ranked in the top five to start the year. But I was looking at Illinois, and I'm like, I think – just for this year, like Nebraska is Nebraska. There's no question about it. But I felt like they were going to have some bumps in the road while they get, got the inexperienced players up to snuff. And I think Illinois was the team that stood out to me as possibly the toughest team that Creighton will play all year. So that's a match I'm really interested to see on Saturday night um, because Illinois so far has has they haven't lost. They're in the top ten. They've got one of the best setters in the country. Um, they have a really good environment. All those sorts of things are working in their favor. So I'm really curious to see how that match plays out because I think it's going to be a big-time atmosphere and a true road match and all those sorts of things. So I think that might be Creighton's toughest test to date, even though they did just play the reigning national champion. Right, and their first weekend was no slouch, too. I mean, no, you no, know, no. it's just this non-conference. Um, you know, you really get to see where this team kind of hones its um, – Hones its medal for the rest of the season, and you know this is their last non-conference uh, series of matches here before we start conference play next weekend uh, with DePaul and Marquette coming to town. So again, that's not um, by any stretch of the imagination uh, an easy way to start into Big East play either. Obviously, the Jays and Marquette have um, have experienced uh, uh, some some really uh, back and forth um, matches in 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 recent years but um yeah i mean any any keys anything that you're that you both are looking ahead for this weekend jays again friday against lipscomb 
Friday night, and then they they get the they get the stretch right. They play super early Saturday, and then they're the nightcap Saturday. Uh, the first one against Northern Iowa, and then Illinois um, Saturday evening. Anything you know for the Jays to leave that um, uh, that the Illini Classic with a with another trophy? What do they need to do? Um, well, I don't know about what they need to do. But I I mean, it's going to be tough because with a th- with a four team tournament in three days tiebreakers are all wonky so they might go two and one and three other teams will do it too so yeah it's tough to see what they have to do to win it the thing i'll tell you what the thing that stands out to me from this weekend that i'm curious to see is the northern iowa match and that's yeah. only because evaluating that the first time and and you know you know this because i texted you when it happened or before it happened i felt like after kentucky creighton was going to lose to northern iowa um because northern iowa sat around all day and just scouted they, were, they had fresh legs and creighton just went through a five setter that just took everything out of them and then they get swept. So yeah. I'm curious to see. I'm curious to evaluate Creighton and Northern Iowa because Northern Iowa is a really scrappy team. Um, they're really hard to score on. They're one, defensively, they're one of the best teams in the country every year. Like, um, and I think mm-hmm. they set, I think they set the record NCAA record for digs last year as a team. Actually, so you know they they're they're not they're they're a team that like is tailor made to kind of counter Creighton's firepower. And I'm really curious to see how that matchup goes when Creighton has a little bit more familiarity with the opponent they're facing, and they'll be a little bit fresher because they play them uh, Saturday morning. So both teams will be rested for the match. So I'm kind of curious to see what the what that match looks like with a level playing field. You know what I mean? Not to make excuses for the loss, but I just felt like Creighton was walking into an uphill battle um, the whole time, the first time they played, and this time it's going to be more of an even playing field, then you can really evaluate what what each team does to each team, you know what I mean? So that's the one I'm looking forward to the most out of this weekend. I know that's silly to say with a top 10 matchup staring at you on a Saturday night. But, sure. Um, that's the one I'm really curious about is how they stack up with a team that just is really just, you know, kind of tailor-made to beat them, really. Yeah, I, mean, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it was – I that tournament earlier, I mean, it was – you had Kentucky. Northern Iowa at night. I mean, that's that's brutal. So the fact that they get a little bit of rest before they get Northern Iowa again in this next tournament, I think that helps them out quite a bit. So, yeah, I couldn't agree more though. I think the the Northern Iowa test that's that's huge. And I think if they can rebound, they can if they can you know again or beat them the first time this year, they they typically lose to them once and then beat them you know again later on. So. Um, no, Matt, I, I can agree more with what you just said. Well, while everybody's feeling, you know, lovey-dovey and, and, and happy, um, I want to segue to this Oktoberfest, and, and really the most pressing part of this for me was um, what did they serve for food? I know that you were getting really excited, Matt, that there might be some mac and cheese or some chicken strips or some uh, chicken fingers, but, like, what went down there um, uh, well, we, Friday I, night? I yeah, I got the mac and cheese and chicken tenders for who did Creighton play that night? The week before that, I got that. That was oh. Clemson. Okay, my bad. Yeah, no. I just I just dream of those things all the time. The, yeah, we're done with that for the year. It's only a one-time thing. Damn. Oh, was this when they were gonna maybe bring you Runza? Yeah. yeah okay. This was bring Runza. Um, I'm trying. I think that was Godfather's though. Okay. Night. Yeah, it was a it was a regular Godfather's night. All right. Yep. It's the same thing at, at DJ SoCal, so. Yeah. Uh, but actually, I heard a rumor. Johnny Atawa texted me and said they had lasagna at DJ SoCal, so that's not quite true, Alex. Well, I think it was 
I'm pretty sure it was Godfather's lasagna, though. <laughs> oh, <laughs> melted. Face melt. I didn't know Godfather's made lasagna. Yeah, uh, they, they make some sort of pasta dishes. Oh. I think well, John, solely for catering. John said it was good, so he you guys won the food battle that night over there. Okay, good. So, yeah, let's talk about the you know what happened on the pitch that day, women's soccer, men's soccer. Um you guys could just take it away, but but really, um, you know, both teams get wins. Uh, men with a 2-0 win over Memphis that night, and the women, um, they beat South Dakota in overtime, in extra time. So um, I guess let's start with the women and Ross Pauly's team. Um, they've since then lost on the road in Kansas City to UMKC 4-2. to But um, picking up that win at home was huge for them. Obviously, that was their first home regular season match of the year um just maybe talk a little bit about uh, and i hate when people say the talk a little bit about part but what were your um takeaways from that from that match you saved it good job thanks uh, i think i can link both of these because something happened in the south dakota match that i'm i think might be have a ripple effect going forward um but i'll start with they just they whipped south dakota i mean it was one one it went into overtime i understand that but that was like that that was like that one, one, that wasn't a one, one match. Like Creighton scored early and they just peppered South Dakota with shots. Possession was basically all Creighton in the second half. I mean, I think South Dakota had three shots in the second half, none in overtime. So it was one of those matches. It was just like all about a matter of time. If Creighton can find the back of the net or not. I mean, it's one of those, it was just one of those types of matches. They South Dakota really had no answer for the pace that Creighton was playing at. I thought it was really good because I thought, you know, Ross Paul has been talking for weeks about, he just wants them to be a little bit like quicker with what they do, you know, just quicker with moving the ball, quicker with making plays, just quicker with the, the whole team pace. And he felt like that was something that they could work towards throughout the season. I know you think team speed isn't something that can be improved, but it's not, it wasn't a team speed issue. It was a how fast they are doing what they do issue. So um, against South Dakota, they looked like they were, they, they, I don't think they played as fast as that all season. So, that was encouraging to see. Um, but the reason South Dakota tied the match was early in the play or early in the, early in the first half after Aline Reinkober scored for Creighton. I know I've said that name a lot. Yeah. So, and I will be saying it a lot more. Trust me. Um, uh, South Dakota scored when Creighton was a, a player down. Uh, Haley Block injured her knee on a challenge and Creighton kind of got caught a, a player down as um, South Dakota took advantage of it to tie the match. But, that's a big injury. It sounds like she's not. It sounds like she's going to be done for the year. One of those types of injuries. So, um, and if you know that last name, that's obviously Ty Block's younger sister. Um, so she's got that work ethic that he has. Uh, she's one of the hardest workers on the team. Uh, one of the team leaders uh, in terms of her skill level. She's really good out of the back, and in terms of how she distributes the ball, and you know how she finds people, and how she builds up into that attacking side of the field. Um, and if you watch the UMKC match, they missed that um, in a big way. So the the players replacing her are freshmen, which so that's going to be a big you know uh, learning curve for them. You got you know Morgan Zarka and Mac Mac Weist are two freshmen. I hope I'm saying her last name right. It's either Weist or Weist. Um, so I apologize, but those are two freshmen that are coming in that are going to have to learn really quickly because they're going to be without the services of a of an experienced, hardworking player in the back there. And, uh, you know, if you watch that UMKC match, it was just like that was clearly something that was missing in a big way. And 
they have number 20 Oklahoma State on um, Friday. That's going to be a really tough battle for them, even at full strength. So, um, yeah, just it's going to be a challenge for them right now. They, they kind of have to reset everything a little bit and, um, you know, try to find out who they are at this point. Again, uh, going into Big East play without one of their top defenders and team leaders. So it's a tough break. Yeah, obviously, that came out um, with the loss at UMKC. You mentioned – Matt, that you watch that match and give up two really quick ones. Um, so what adjustments, uh, aside from just it sounds like um, some major changes to adjust for, for that injury, um, do you think Pauly's going to have uh, his his program making here as they start now a nice little run? At least they're at home, right? Oklahoma State in the house for homecoming on Friday night and then um, the following weekend – um, Xavier at home and St. John's as we start to get into the Big East. But what I mean, what would you expect? What would you think um, based on what you've seen from this team so far? Yeah, tactically, I'm not sure. I haven't watched them practice this week, so I don't really know what they're going to try to – if they're going to try to mix anything up tactically. I, I, I know that Ross Pauly is really high on Morgan Zarka, and she was playing – she was getting a lot of playing time even when Haley Block was healthy, so – I don't know if there's just a mixing and matching going on there or if he moves Jalen Bosock back to center back because he's been kind of letting her play on the outside a little bit um, and then get up forward for, you know, some get into the box and, you know, because she's so dangerous on those set pieces that um, he kind of lets her roam around and just create, you know, just make an impact all over the pitch. So I don't know if putting her back into Haley's center back spot and just, you know, solidifying that spot of the field is uh, something they do, but. Um, that's certainly something they could try um, because Bosak is as good as anybody, I think, in the Big East in terms of defense. So it's it's not like they don't have a player that can replace her, just they've used, been using her in a different way. Mm. So that's one thing they could try. Um, I think maybe, I don't know, slowing them, not trying to play with so much pace maybe and not trying to open the game up as much maybe doesn't create as many opportunities for counters against an inexperienced mm. defense. So that's one thing they could try tactically um because the umkc match they were just playing the way they play they oh they really opened the game was really opened up and both teams it was four to two and four to one at one point and you feel like that's dominance and on the scoreboard and it was but the stats are just really weird uh, creighton created eight corner kicks and didn't score on any of them that's strange um you don't see that very often when you create eight corners usually you're getting two goals out of that um but it, you know, so Creighton had opportunities to score for themselves. It was just the the game was really open, and both teams had chances. Um, but when UMKC would counter, um, they were really dynamic in the attacking third, and Creighton just had a lot of breakdowns on that side of the field, just you know, one too many, honestly. And I think that's where they missed Haley the most. Um, so it, it'll be interesting to see going forward if they try to open it up as much because that Oklahoma State side they're playing on Friday. If they try to open up with them, even at full strength, they might be overwhelmed. So sure. I, I don't know if, if that's necessarily a strategy they'll use anyway on Friday. So it'll be interesting to see because Oklahoma State put it on them pretty good last year. Yeah. Um, and they're a top 25 team. So uh, that's going to be a huge challenge regardless. But it'll be interesting to see how they adjust and to life without Haley Block for sure. Speaking of top 25 teams, you like that segue? That's a yeah, that's, that's a script town. That's a script town. Yeah, that's a script town brewing segue right there. Smooth, tastes good, refreshing, crisp. Um, men's soccer back in the rankings. 
and off the heels of a 2-0 um, win against Memphis at Oktoberfest. That was the nightcap of all the festivities down at Morrison Stadium and nearby Sokol Arena. But, um, you know, I watched that match from the confines of my house in the Big East Digital Network. Um, looked like a great atmosphere. Looked like it was uh, looked like it was a tough one for the Jays. Let's talk a little bit about Friday last Friday night and then maybe segue into what to expect as they start Big East play this week. Well, yeah, well, I mean, it was a great atmosphere. They had over four thousand people. Um, wow. Yeah, uh, that's not that's not. I don't. Even, it's not even really the top ten in Morrison. It's not really a wow crowd, but it's pretty good. Um, <laughs> it's old hat for us college yeah, soccer, getting four thousand yeah, people. Yeah, one of those wipe the shoulder off moments right there. Um, yeah, but Memphis, I think Memphis is a good team. Uh, that's what I think. They're really dynamic. Um, they they play on the ball really well. They they. They make it hard for you to find openings and score, um, so that's a good team. That I think Memphis might be a really good team this year. I don't. I, I didn't see. I saw. I felt like I was watching two NCAA tournament teams play. Um, so for Creighton to get a two nothing win on them, that's pretty. It was pretty impressive. Uh, obviously, Luke Hawkinson's goal to to break the scoring, you know, break the scoring drought was impressive. I mean, that run he made on the end line it looked like that ball was just like heading harmlessly for a goal kick for Memphis, and all of a sudden he's sprinting around the center back, which I didn't even think he had room to do, honestly. And he somehow kept the ball in and then somehow still got in front of the center back again. And, you know, the goalkeeper came out to try to just do anything, and at that point he was stuck. So um, that was a really impressive effort goal by Hawkinson. And, um you know, Creighton had a little bit of trouble scoring in the first half. I think you, I think Memphis probably won the first half in terms of the play, but um, Elmar Bolovich made an adjustment at halftime to made an adjustment at halftime to spread them out, spread them out better, and get the you know spread their spread their wings out defensively, and you know create more openings in Memphis's defense. And I think that's kind of how Creighton was able to get control of the play a little bit. They were able to use the whole field, and and Memphis struggled too. You know, Memphis started to fade a little bit. I think some of the players said fatigue was an issue for Memphis once they started to do that. So credit to Coach Bolowicz for making the halftime adjustment. The Wizard was true to form on Friday <laughs> night. The Wizard, love it. Yeah, Memphis, I mean, they stuck around. You you mentioned during our last podcast that they then played Utah, Utah State here um, uh, later that weekend after Utah State was in town to play UNO. And Memphis left Omaha with a one-one, one-to-one, one-on-one trip, one-on-one weekend uh, as they got a one-nothing win in that match. But um, you know, next up for the Blue Jays, Butler this weekend at Morrison. Um, I'm not sure how much you you guys have been able to look ahead to that match and the start of Big East play, but um, you know, I'm coming in a little bit blind here, not sure exactly where the the um, the league looks or how the league looks so far, you know, here a couple weeks into the season, um, you know, what do, what do Jays fans need to know, um, you know, as the, as the Blue Jays start heading into conference play? Well, yeah, Butler's a weird team to kind of evaluate because they went to Akron the first weekend and drew with them in a 2-2 match and Akron was ranked in the top five. So that was impressive. And then they went to Central Michigan um, and shut them out. I think two to nothing and central Michigan was ranked 16th. So you never know what those, you know, cause soccer rankings is pretty much where you finish is where you start is kind of the deal. Sure. Uh, so it's tough to see what, what, at, you know, to evaluate Akron and Western Michigan will be 
um, to the test of how good Butler really is because I know Butler's lost to Drake and you don't feel like that's a team that's as good as Creighton. And so that's it's it's difficult to. Yeah, evaluate. I mean they've they've lost but to Drake, UC Santa Barbara, and Columbia. So really, their only positive um, results have been against the two teams that, if you looked at their schedule, at least just. Uh, not knowing anything about Butler soccer, like I don't know anything about Butler soccer, I'd look at those and be like, oh, okay. Casual fan says those are probably going to be losses or maybe a tie. Um, and right. the other ones, you'll probably have a decent shot at. You know, they they lose those three and then beat uh, beat Western Michigan and draw with Akron. So, um, very interesting. Yep. But it's, it's a team that, you know, Creighton has always had a really close – I don't think they've ever dominated them when they've played – if I'm not mistaken, Creighton played them in the Big East tournament final two years ago, maybe. Yes. And lost two to one, was yes. it, or something? Like that? They lost. I, think I, well, I was down to I was driving down to Lawrence, I think, and I was watching that on my phone, so um, I wasn't driving. I was driving. <laughs> there you go. There we go. Um, I was in a car. <laughs> nice save. There we go. Um, <laughs> follow, follow the rules, everybody. Uh, yeah, so that's like, a, you know, it's a team that's really, that's ha- that, that got Creighton in a big match before. Um, and it's, you know, it's a team that has t- that's traditionally had some talent in this new realignment of the Big East. So they've been one of the upper, upper, upper echelon teams. So I expect it to be a really good match. I, I think the crowd will be pretty good. And I think the soccer will be pretty good. Yeah. And I mean, both of those top 25 wins, they, they got were on the road. Yeah, I mean, against... Akron was, was a tie, but yeah, it was, the Western Michigan was one. Oh yeah, sorry. Yeah, I mean, I count that as a win. I mean, the top five team for for Butler to tie them, but it's and not. Soccer it's... Will be called, soccer will be called a result. There you go. Oh, there oh, okay. Go. Thanks, Thanks yeah. Matt. It's no problem. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I can't believe I learned something on this podcast. <laughs> I'm here. I'm here to educate. <laughs> So yeah, I mean, you don't you don't know what what Butler can do. They're just world beaters, and they just go on the on on the road and and they just beat teams. I don't know. I don't know anything yeah, about Butler. Yeah, if they play better than away from home, you mean? Yeah, there's certainly an aspect to it that might be there for sure. Mm-hmm. They just like being on a bus. Who knows? So, where will you guys be this weekend? Um, uh, I'm gonna be. What, how's I'm gonna be a woman. I think I'll be at women's soccer on Friday. Okay. Okay. For Oklahoma State. Bloodbath, so you can enjoy that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it'll be nice and wordy, that recap. I'm not looking forward to that post-match. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, where are you going to be? Uh, I think I have men's soccer. I need to check the assignment schedule. Honestly. Okay. You guys can decide. I'll, I'll, be, I'll be following volleyball for sure. They have Lipscomb on Friday night, afternoon-ish. I think it's 4 o'clock uh, uh, Friday afternoon, yeah. Early evening. Um, I'll definitely be following that one. And then Northern Iowa that morning and Illinois on Saturday night. So sure. uh, I'll, I'll have I'll be following all three volleyball matches for sure. Okay. I'd be remiss if we didn't ask about men's hoops. Obviously, people clamoring as we get closer. We're really only about a, a month and a half out from the first and only exhibition game. Um, when you were talking a little bit uh, off air about uh, uh, secret scrimmage type stuff and and fundraising games like we had against UNO last year, but um, you know what uh, what what what's life like 
down at the championship center right now with the basketball team, getting everybody healthy and getting everybody ready to roll for, for the official kickoff here in a couple of weeks of, of practice. Yeah. Well, uh, I guess the good news in terms of health is the pieces are starting to come back together, I guess. Humpty Dumpty's getting put back together slowly yeah. but sure. Um, obviously the last podcast, uh, we talked about Martin being cleared for non-contact stuff. Um, so he's still working his way back, but he's making progress. Uh, Damian Jefferson, I think, I don't know if we did update that or not. He is out with a wrist injury right now. He's in a cast, but um, I think he only has about a week or a week and a half left in that thing. So he'll be back soon. Um, Marcus Zagorowski was a full go to the day, uh, and they did five-on-five stuff and everything, so there was contact and everything. He was back. Mitch Ballack was a full participant, and so was Christian Bishop. So um, those three are pretty much back together there um, and back in the mix. So I think Martin and Damian are the only guys uh, I guess you would technically consider out still. But sure. They're, not, they're, they're, they're progressing as well. So it's all heading towards that timeline that Mac always said in the summer that these guys would be ready to go when everything was when it's time to go. So um, you know, everybody was really worried about the injuries and stuff, but it's really just one of those things where – there's no off season anymore, so there's no time to heal anymore. So it's just like you just kind of have to, you have to make decisions to shut guys down so they can get ready for the season. It's pretty much what was the, the the call you had to make there. So there were a few guys that were shut down this summer that didn't go through the skill stuff, and that's um, you know it's not really a panic mode situation. So um, they all are kind of getting themselves together here, and I think they'll be all be all be ready. If not Martin, they'll be all be ready um, when it's time to go. So. That's a good thing from the injury front. And then, uh, yeah, the secret scrimmage against Minnesota or closed scrimmage, I think we can probably call that It sounds that way better if you say secret scrimmage. It sounds more important that way. Yeah. Yeah. Because, like, you're giving uh-huh. us details that you're not supposed to know about. Right. <laughs> well, I'll never know until I find out. So, like, you shouldn't have said that. Oh, oops. Um, <laughs> yeah. can't, can't unring that bell. Um yeah. So, yeah, the, uh, they'll play Minnesota again like they did last year. This time it's in Omaha. Um, it'll be October 20th is when they'll play them. So they'll play them in that close scrimmage. And then I uh, I was curious about um, that uh, an, an extra exhibition match for charity, I guess, is what they – that was what the UNO game was last year. So they played, they played the Minnesota scrimmage out in Minnesota, then they played UNO and UNC Pembroke in the exhibition, and the UNO one was for charity. So apparently the NCAA counts the scrimmage now as an exhibition game. Uh, I'm not sure if that's new this year or not, because obviously Creighton played the scrimmage and two exhibitions last year. So this year the scrimmage counts as an exhibition. Oh, okay. Um, so they're only going to play the one scrimmage. They're going to play the scrimmage against Minnesota, which will be closed to the public, and then um, the public and the media. And the Winona State one will be the exhibition for the, everybody to see. Um, but I, I felt like, and you guys got to jog my memory because I can't really remember the UNO scrimmage was like a. a it felt like a spur, or the scrimmage, the exhibition game. It felt like it was. It came together quickly. It did. And, yep. And it was for charity, and I was there. There was I felt like there was a storm that happened, that the proceeds of the game went to. So I don't remember quite right. You have to drop a memory on that. But I, but the hur- there's a hurricane obviously heading towards the the coast right now. That's supposed to be just the mother of all storms. So I'm wondering if uh, college basketball kind of like, you know, so decides to help out a little bit with the with the recovery efforts and that, 
um, and, and sending aid to those states and cities and towns that are affected by that this weekend that um, they might pull together and find another reason to play another exhibition. Because, I mean, the season hasn't practically even started yet, so they have time to plan one if that's the case. I just don't know if what, what, has to, what hurdles have to be cleared for the NCAA to do that. But I felt like the UNO game was yeah. one of those things as well. Am I yeah, it would be better for them to plan – that then you know nebraska football start looking for hurricane ravaged college football programs to go pluck up oh for a potential uh, <laughs> football game uh you know one seems better than the other or maybe less tone deaf but yeah last year that was hurricane relief for um the storms that affected florida texas puerto rico and the virgin okay. islands um but that's where that one really when i saw the schedule come out and they said our exhibition was going to be October 27th this year. I mean, last year that game that was hastily thrown together because of the emergency happened on October 26th. So I guess there was just part of me that thought, um, well, first of all, we never used to have our exhibitions in October, ever. It was always that, you know, November 1st, 2nd, 3rd-ish time. Um, So the the fact that this is creeping up a little bit, maybe – planted a seed for me that maybe that was something that would be in the works there not that they'd automatically like oh hey we know there are going to be a bunch of random hurricanes when we plan our schedule but more like if that was an approach that the ncaa who also struggles with um difficult pr challenges often um i wonder if if that was something they were going to maybe start to expand a little bit more just frequently you know what i mean um or regularly having something like that occur but um, I thought they were going to. I, I, I don't know what happened in the process, but all of the coaches that went to charity games, and I, it happened throughout the whole country. It wasn't just Creighton and UNO. The whole the whole country like had a bunch of just rivalry games spring up all of a sudden, or a bunch of teams locally, um, you know, within proximity of each other, played for charity in an extra exhibition game, and and I felt like all of the coaches that were involved in those games said. Yes, let's do this every year, NCAA. Um, <laughs> apparently, that message didn't ring home. Apparently, the call got disconnected. So, uh, but and I do wonder too, like you mentioned about the dates. There's obviously the earlier starts of the year. Um, with the close scrimmage being the 20th, and with the exhibition being the 27th, that doesn't feel like a window you can squeeze another one in. No, um, so that's that's like a you know what are you asking at that point from the players and the staffs at that you know. Um, so yeah, it's just logistically that doesn't, and I don't know if that's a window you can squeeze games into. So I, uh, another, another example of the NCAA dropping the ball on something, because I don't know if they can just say, uh, you know, the, the exhibit, the one exhibition game that everybody has, um, on the 27th is your four charity game or whatever. I mean, I think if that were to be the case, I would believe that. Winona State would be the game, you know what I mean? I felt like it would be something that would draw a bigger crowd to it, and then you could donate a bigger fund to the right to the to the relief aid that you're sending to whatever your cause will be. So, yeah, it's just I don't know. It's one of those things where I'm scratching my head at this point because I felt like that was. I mean, there's opportunities for that constantly. I mean, Puerto Rico still needs it for crying out loud. Right. All these, all these, you know, all this time later. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know why the NCAA didn't feel like they could capitalize on that with, you know, with some television rights and things like that. It just felt like a good opportunity, you know, selfishly to broad, you know, to advertise their sport and for a good cause. Like, I don't know, like have kind of like a, a basketball marathon slash telethon type of deal where, 
you know, fans that are watching have a 1-800 number they can call in and donate relief to. Like, I don't know why that didn't seem like a good idea to execute it for this year, but I think you might be. I, mean, ma- be I think you might be making too much sense, Matt. I right, like yeah, but I mean, you could do the whole telethon thing, like have a phone bank open yeah. and have like, you know, some assistant coaches or like coaches of other schools like sitting there up on a on a couple of podiums, like receiving calls. Like I'd love to see Ed Service sitting there on like a Friday night, like fielding calls from people. Who are trying to give him money? Like I, I think, I think that would draw lots of money for the university and for the NCAA as a whole. I would just call a lot yeah. to talk to him. Yeah, you know? that's what I would absolutely. <laughs> that was I'm my not, plan. <laughs> not, and Ed Service wouldn't be the type of guy, but I think if you got a couple of SEC coaches to take calls that receive money, I don't know if we would see that money. So, it's just my opinion on that one. I think if you let if you let and coaches, you, if you let coaches intercept the funds, I think the funds will be intercepted. Like that's just my opinion. There you go. It's just a bunch of bagmen calling in order way much, to like yeah. to launder the money to them. And then we're hearing <laughs> stories two months later about funds that didn't get to the hurricane relief people and all that stuff. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, so we got some guys getting healthy. We got some games um, to play or wink, wink, not being played against Minnesota in Omaha. Um, but basketball is right around the corner. So excited to start hearing from some guys, Matt. I know you'll be down there, um, even more frequently being able to talk to some guys and get them on, uh, get them recorded and have them on the podcast that way. So I'm sure our listeners are looking forward to that as well. Um, anything else you guys want to cover before we sign off for the night? I know you guys got a busy, uh, couple days here to get ready for another busy weekend of, of Creighton sports, but anything else? No, I think I've rambled enough for one night. <laughs> All right. I got a little something. Oh, you ready something, for this? Something. Yeah. Okay, so you know, uh, the NCAA changed the rules in college baseball where you could add a, a couple more uh, exhibition games in the fall. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so, so Creighton got their you know a couple of exhibition games, and so uh, ten days from now they'll Bellevue University. So that's one of the draws. The second draw, the following Saturday, a week later. They play the Ontario Blue Jays, or Ontario. I don't know how you pronounce it. Not Canadian. The right? Are they playing so, for the rights to the '91 jersey style? Oh, oh my! Wow, that could uh, be, that would be a big game. Yeah, I mean it could be huge. Um, but loves, the Brian problem is, jerseys. well, it's it's a high school program. <laughs> nice. <laughs> So, in, in fact, there are programs that go all the way. So, it's like an 18U program. So, it's kind of, you know, like an AAU kind of squad. And so, it goes from 18U all the way down to 12U. Oh, boy. So, I wonder which squad is going to face off against our Blue Jays in that oh job. Will the wow. will the 12-year-olds be penalized for um, leaning into pitches from seniors in college? <laughs> God, I hope a twelve-year-old hit by a senior in college. That would hurt. Yeah, but I mean, if it's, you know, it, I mean, if it was Dave Gerber throwing it, they'd probably like, well, I've seen a ball go just as fast, <laughs> not faster. <laughs> he's gonna hear that so, on this. He's gonna hear that shit now. Yeah, and he's gonna appreciate it. <laughs> I guarantee it. So, I mean, there's, there's that. So they're going to bring – so are they, like, doing a barnstorming event? Like, are they going throughout the Midwest and playing other baseball programs, or are they literally coming from Ontario to Omaha to play Ed Service's Blue Jays? 
uh, as far as I can tell, they're coming to Omaha solely to play Creighton, and they're not even playing wow. at TD. They're playing, yeah, they're playing at the CU Sports Complex. Oh yes, I got. I have to go. Right. <laughs> they must have a heck of a fundraising, but cut off. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, it sounds like Alex then, will be there. Then, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Oh, without a doubt. And then a week later, they play UNO at Seymour Smith. What? At Seymour Smith? Are they going to go frisbee golfing after? What is happening? <laughs> I was going to say, you know, there's just going to be a bunch of stones standing out, you know, along the fence going like, what? <laughs> what is this sport? Wow. I don't understand this. It seems too slow, bro. <laughs> so they got that going for them, too. So they, they go and travel to UNO to play at Seymour Smith. They host a high school team, and they host an NAIA team, and that's their exhibition schedule for the fall. That's how Ed utilized that. That sounds like it'll get them ready to go for the spring. That's how Ed utilized I'm ready. That. I mean, it'll get them ready that for high the piece, that's for sure. <laughs> well, I was going to say, yeah, that high school team could probably put up Rutland Oven three innings, so. <laughs> That's all I got. Okay. Sounds like Alex is leaving a little bit hot on the technology as he comes out here. So. All right, Alex, make yourself. Always. All right, so with that, we're going to go ahead and sign off for the night, guys. I want to thank Alex and Delar and Matt DeMarinas for, uh, once again, their dutiful um, efforts here on the podcast and would be remiss if we did not, once again, thank Scriptown Brewing for their sponsoring of the Blue Jays Bites podcast. Make sure that when you're in the Blackstone District or if you're not, to go down and find your way to the Blackstone District to, to grab a, a brew or two or four at uh, Scriptown Brewing. Um, located there on Farnham Street in the Black in the Blackstone area. Um, for Matt D. Moranis and Alex Sindler, I am Bryant Ott. I want to thank you for listening to the podcast. Hope you enjoy this weekend, uh, this weekend's worth of, of Blue Jay athletics. And I want to say good night and go Jays.